Experience medieval times. A world of excitement, adventure, and wonder. Feast upon a delectable four-course meal. And behold authentic jousting and swordsmanship. It's the perfect place for celebration and revelry. New power, new show. Kids and students, just $34.95. Visit MedievalTimes.com. Fans, your host for the most, George McKayam in the building, I'm here with my cohort in crime, Steve the Animal Mitchell. How's it going, everybody? It's going all right. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm a little hungry. I'm a little tired, but you know, we're going to do a podcast and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Today is episode 56. We're calling this one the Tools of the Trade. The Tools of the Trade. You know where I got that from? Where'd you get that from? I got that from this little side note, a little tidbit. There's a, a local rap group here in Canada called the Rascals. If you haven't heard of them, they have this song called One Mike. And, uh, or one shot, and uh, there's one verse where the guy's like, uh, he actually kind of touches on a couple of wrestling monikers, because they're from, they're from, he's from Calgary, but then moved to Vancouver, the one guy, and he touched on the one verse that he got it from, is like, in a dungeon, where the dues are paid, before we ever get the chance to rhyme on stage, you learn the tools of the trade. So, that's where I figured, you know what, this kind of makes sense for this episode, just simply because dungeon, Hart Family Dungeon, dues paid. A lot of screaming, a lot of broken Rapping bones. and metal. Rapping, metal, <laughs> everything kind of going hand in hand. But yeah, the tools of the trade. So this episode is highlighting some superstars who have came up through the indies, learned their craft, learned from the errors of their ways to make it to WWE, or guys who made it to WWE, then kind of left and stayed away and became even bigger in the indie circuit, or the guys that went away and proverbially came back home if you will. Mm-hmm. The sky was a limit on this one. We really could have touched on a whole lot of wrestlers, but because there's just so much to sift through, a lot of research would have went into that. So we just kind of handpicked a few that we felt we should highlight. Yeah, I thought this would be a really fun episode to do because this is really into a new generation of, uh, of self-promoting wrestlers that I've been finding I've been coming up coming up the woodwork lately, especially with uh, the likes of uh, what we're going to talk about today within Cody Rhodes and um, with the return of uh, Drew McIntyre and, and, and all of his background and everything, even with uh, Mick Foley and what he's been doing these days um, with his self-promotion, Jake the Snake with his own self-promotion and um, going around doing a lot of spoken word, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of uh, internal self-promotion that's really going on within um, w- within a, a, a lot of not only legends, but um, guys who have come and gone in WWE and then guys that are just up and coming in general. Um, even as far as Emma, who has gone on to become the, the women's Ring of Honor world champion. And that's absolutely amazing to, to see just somebody go from, from that stature and then come all the way back around in the independent circuit and absolutely thrive. And then seeing where their careers all go from there. But we've got, uh, yeah, we got a few hand-picked today to, to go through. Yeah, and it's interesting that you highlighted Emma there too, because you could think about stuff like the Mae Young Classic, who has given 
those kind of WWE bubble universe fans a chance to see what's outside the landscape. Mm-hmm. Because the Mae Young Classic, even the Cruiserweight Classic, brings in international talent. So you can kind of see what everyone else in the world is doing. Mm-hmm. And now WWE has kind of taken on the moniker of the universe, if you will, literally, by now uh, NXT UK starting up just around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then you know they're going to branch out from there. Probably definitely going to go, I would like to say, NXT Japan. Yeah. Probably going to say even NXT uh, Mexico, like Lucha Libre style. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sky's really the limit. So NXT is so successful, now they branched out to UK. And they're just going to keep growing from there. Yeah, it's and like what people don't realize is that they're only seeing the the beginning of where the like what people thought was the beginning of the, the early stages of NXT. It's like no, this is the beginning of it branching out into the different parts of the world is where NXT is really truly going and to, to truly dominate. How do you do that? That's you get to every part and sector of, of the entire planet. And then you uh, you take your wonderful little WWE network, which is your own platform, and you're creating a ton of original content. Right. To keep all those people happy with their nine ninety nine a month. Yeah. So uh, I guess the first one we'll go with right off the bat is uh, we kind of selected five in total, but the first one to go in off the bat is we'll kick it old school for a second. So we'll go with a, a guy like Chris Jericho. Uh, everybody knows the history of Chris Jericho. You don't really need to get into too much, but I'll go into some early uh, career stuff. So at the age of nineteen, he entered the Hart Brothers School of Wrestling, where he met Lance Storm on his very first day. He was trained by Ed Langley and local Calgary wrestler Brad Young. Two months later, he's ready to start wrestling at his indie shows, making his debut in Moose Hall in Panoka, Alberta, as Cowboy Chris Jericho <laughs> uh, on October 2nd, 1990, in a 10-minute uh, time limit draw against Storm. So literally his first match was against Lance Storm. So again, Lance Storm, a legend in his own right, a guy who kind of worked his way up through ECW and then into WCW and then into WWE for a brief period. So um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a legend there in his own right. Then they eventually worked together as a tag team. And then from there, he also moved over into Mexico. Traveled to Mexico around 1992, where he wrestled under the name of Leon de Orio. I don't really know where he would have come up with that name, but it's all right. I mean, I was thinking, I was thinking something like, you know, like, like they have, other than like the Guerrero family, yeah. you've got like Rey Mysterio Jr. You've got um, Juventud Guerrero. They all had like, they all have these cool, like funky names. For like the Lucha Libre style, but I mean, all right, Leon Diorio, I, I guess, you know, I guess somebody just kind of was like, you know what, here, this is, this is what we got left over in the hat, pick one. Pretty so, much. I guess that's what happened. Bring around to the loner. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, Le- Leon Diorio stands for Golden Lion, of course. Uh, the name the fans voted for him between He-Man and Chris Power, he preferred the choice of Leon Diorio. Uh, later, uh, where he when he wrestled, he wrestled for several small companies, and then as well in the largest in the country, which is Concedro Muda de Lucha Libre (CMLL). In CMLL, Jericho took the Silver King, took on Silver King, Negero Casas, and Ultimo Dragon, which we all know very well, on route to an 11th month reign as the NWA Middleweight Champion. Uh, after leaving Mexico, Jericho jo- uh, wrestled in Hamburg, Germany, for six weeks where he, he was uh, in a six-week tournament uh, run by Rene Lassi, I think. I'm not sure if, I can, if I'm pronouncing that right. In 1994, he saw a brief return with Storm in Jim Cornette's uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling promotion, and then he feuded with the likes of Will Dunn, the Rock and Roll Express, and the Heavenly Bodies. Um, in late 94, he began competing, competing regularly, my apologies, in Japan for, gener- uh, for Generico 
Taniru's Wrestling and Romance, later known as the Wrestling Association uh, War. That's what the promotion was called. Uh, he, uh, he wrestled under the moniker of the Lionheart, and he defeated Ultimate Dragon, Ultimo Dragon for the NWA World Middleweight Championship. Uh, in so that, thus birthing the Lionheart, Chris Jericho. Yeah, absolutely. And then in 1995, he lost to Jetto <clears throat> in the final tournament to crown the inaugural War International Junior Heavyweight Champion. He later defeated him in Ultimate, uh, in, in, later defeated him for the championship in June 95, but ultimately lost it to Ultimo Dragon within the next month. <clears throat> in 1995, he also joined the villain staple uh, Fujaki Gun, uh, the Fujaki Army, with. Uh, Himorochi Fujuki, Jido, and Jado, adopting the name of Lion Doe. In February 1996, he won a tournament for the newly created International Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship with Jado, and he defeated Landstorm and Yuji Yasuraka in the final. They lost the championship the following month. Jericho made his final appearance in war in 1996, having wrestled a total of 24 tours for that company. So, <clears throat> That's pretty cool. In 1995, he uh, worked briefly uh, in ECW on the recommendations of Chris Benoit, Dave Meltzer, and Perry Saturn. Uh, they recommended him to Paul Heyman, and after Mick Foley put his stamp on Jericho after seeing that match with Ultimo Dragon in uh, for the Junior Heavyweight Championship in uh, in July 95. So uh, at that point, from what I understand, I think Foley gave Heyman a tape, and Heyman saw it. Asked around, liked it, signed him. After yeah, and, one- he, and he turned into a big get. Um, when he made his debut, it was the the, the the roof blew off that place. It was absolutely amazing to, to hear the reception of just like how, how anticipated um, everybody truly was to, to see Chris Jericho wrestling on American soil again and um, just putting on great, great... Everybody knew that as soon as he was going to step in that ring, he was going to put on amazing matches. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool that uh, he, I remember seeing some of these matches, especially the one for the ECW World Championship match against Pitbull Number Two. Yeah. Uh, he also wrestled the likes of Taz, Sabu, Rob Van Dam. He even wrestled Foley as Cactus Jack and Shane Douglas and Two Cold Scorpio, who we all know came to WWF at the time. What was his moniker, Two Cold Scorpio, when he left ECW? Oh, Flash did? Funk. Flash Funk. Yeah, yeah, really bad character. But those matches that he did put on in the early stages were great. Just the character every move is just so too cold and whether it was too cold or flash it was just like a really everything was super crisp every yeah. time and then from there um, and and of course we can't forget um uh the the matches that he had with Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero that were just absolutely scintillating yes those matches were definitely great and then from there he made his first appearance in WCW Monday Nitro against Alex Wright and then he later appeared in his first pay-per-view in his match against Chris Benoit at Fall Ball in January 1997 after that, he made uh, he made his debut in New Japan Pro Wrestling in a working agreement with WCW. A lot of people don't remember back in the day that while ECW had the working agreement with WWF at the time, so did WCW. They had a working agreement with New Japan Wrestling. They actually mm. brought in a lot of international talent first, but because everything was so oversaturated with the NWO, it was hard for the international talent to really get a spotlight other than the Cruiserweight division. And we all know from the WCW... Uh, the Monday Night Wars and stuff like that, that Jericho has actually come out and been quoted as saying they were the workhorse guys. They were told to shut up, work matches, put on really great matches, and then leave. And then let guys like Hogan and Nash have their 10-second matches with 45 minutes of promo. So, I mean, we all know know the history of WCW and all the stuff that went wrong over there. 
but while he was while he was there, he began his he began his run as a villain, and he won titles from the likes of Rey Mysterio. It sold out. He also went on to have a short feud with uh, Juventud Guerrero, and uh, he also even had a heated rivalry with Disco Inferno, who at the time was pretty good for his own right. WCW Disco Inferno was again not the greatest gimmick, but he could wrestle, and he could wrestle very very well. But you could see that he worked his way all the way up, eventually coming to WWE in 2000. Was it 2000 that he premiered or 1999? Uh, did, uh, Jericho? Yeah. Um, he came on Y2J. It was 2000, right? Um, it was 2000, yes. 2000. So he came from there, and then we all know the history of Jericho there. Um, multi-time Intercontinental Champion, multi-time World Heavyweight Champion, Tag Team Champions, all of it. There was mm-hmm. so many titles, so many accolades. And then, obviously, again, going back out into the indie scene, as we know recently, with um, the awesomeness of Alpha versus Omega, which was hands down a five-star match, 10-star match, 12-star match, whatever you want to call it. It was great. And the fact that he kind of brought New Japan to the forefront, because a lot of us in the wrestling world know about New Japan, but there are people still getting involved in wrestling or people just tuning into wrestling for the first time don't really realize New Japan Wrestling. So the fact of having a name like Jericho come in and having a great feud with Kenny Omega, just it was the literally the gasoline that was already on a spark. And the fire was just out of control at that point. And if you haven't watched that match, go back and watch that match because it was completely epic, completely amazing, and completely well worth it. But from right from there, you could see the tools of the trade that were built up. He worked his way up, learned what he needed to learn, made mistakes where he needed to make mistakes with bad names, bad gimmicks, all of it. To eventually come who we know a legend future hall of famer i mean the list is on and it was actually august 9th 1999 when he debuted in okay. wwf all right so but we were close we were close but um <laughs> yeah the alpha versus omega just completely changed the game as far as um what what uh, new japan was bringing to only only that segregated audience it really brought it more americanized to the point where in America and Canada, where a, a lot of us were only stuck in the WWE bubble and and was able to break out of that and actually get a chance to really see what, um, quite frankly, um, what real wrestling is really going on. And a lot of real wrestling that's that's going on when you hear that this is wrestling chance, when you used to hear that this is wrestling chance, now it's become the standard in uh, in NXT of that kind of performance of, of a match of what kind of, uh, in, in, in the sense of just, what strong style is really so appealing to everybody in uh, nowadays, particularly in the NXT, and you're seeing it so much so in the May Young Classic um, this year of the fact that um, those kinds of matches and the way that those two, particularly the way Jericho and uh, Omega performed that match, the per- their performance was absolutely amazing of what they did to each other and how they put their bodies on the line for good. I think it was like 42, 45 minutes. Somewhere in they, the line they, there, yeah. They went to war. And then did a podcast right after it actually even give further. That's the other thing that they changed the game for as well as the fact that Jericho not only being a self-promoter in that sense of coming to them with the idea of this whole spectacle of not only reinventing that as a self-promoter, but reinventing um, the promo style of the way everything was done of him, of them coming up with the ideas of uh, the video packages beforehand and um, the solid buildup before the actual match happened. And, um, this 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 promise of a war that they're both going to have, and they absolutely delivered in every way, shape, or form, in every way, shape, and form. But the fact of not only being able to deliver on on all of that front, but Jericho also being able to um, go uh, go right online 
after uh, the match is over, mere hours after the after the match is over, and go on a podcast, and both of them talk about the match and give the not every detail, but be able to give away the the details that they could about uh, the behind the scenes action of the way that all went down. And I I think that's that that reinvention of all of that in one fail swoop of a weekend just absolutely um, blew, it, it blew my mind quite frankly of just where everything was truly going in terms of uh, wrestling and just promotion in general yeah absolutely you're absolutely right it, it changed the, the landscape it changed the game for for self-promotion and it pretty much again learning the tools of the trade you know what to do and what to do right mm-hmm. and a lot of that could probably come from what he learned backstage more so probably WWE than WCW for sure but I'm sure being around legends and all that stuff, learning and then with the new landscape of technology, social media, and how far your reach really is, depending on how big your brand is, your reach is literally endless. Mm-hmm. And they, they proved that. Because, I mean, we had all, we, we had, we, we've, we've touched on New Japan a couple times. We've talked about it. We've watched it through our wrestling, I guess you say our wrestling, our, our love of wrestling through here and now, but never really fully committed. I could say for myself anyways, didn't fully commit till that match and now i try to get as much new japan in as i possibly can yeah no pun intended but now i'm i'm all in (laughs) pun pun you didn't intend it but it was there the pun was there hey (laughs) all right so let's uh i'll take a break for a second here you go into uh one of yours what do you got um yeah why don't we go into drew mcintyre considering uh how much he's he's really um changed Scotsman. In, in terms of uh, bringing his character all the way around of uh, what he once was a, a villain in WWE um, and then he, he was a, 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 a rather salty villain um, in WWE to a full-fledged um, Game of Thrones villain in, in terms of just stature and stocky and just it looks like he can just beat the crap out of you in, in two seconds. Don't forget um, 3MB. <laughs> Don't forget 3MB. You and, can't. And that's the that's that's the thing. It's the same kind of transformation as Jinder Mahal. Honestly, you could put them both together, and it's just it's miraculous to see the transformations that they both did. Jinder Mahal, you could actually put them both um, in this exact same category of what I'm talking about Fair right enough. now. Of these guys. That uh, when uh, that when from what most people don't know about Drew was uh, the fact that and what I actually quite frankly I didn't I didn't understand about him was that he actually did independence from 2001 to 2007, which I actually I thought that he had actually done WWE first. That was his thing, and then like Cody, he just did WWE first and then went off and learned independence and then came back and now he's all reinvented. So he already had a little bit of any, well, actually six years, he had yeah. quite a bit of any knowledge. Yeah, he already had quite a bit of any knowledge. Of uh, He began training for professional wrestling at the age of 15 at the Frontier Wrestling Alliances Academy when, he was, uh, when, when his family moved to the south of England and to Portsmouth in the FWA Academy. He was trained. For, he was trained by the promotions operator Mark, Mark Sloan, along with Justin Richards and James Tyne. Gallo, Galloway, also, also, um, sorry, losing my line here. Galloway also cites the promotions established wrestlers helped out with training, including Doug Williams, Paul Burchill, and Alex Shane. So yeah, he's got quite a bit of background from uh, those, those six years of being. Um, independence and then came back around um, to WWE to do the chosen one which um, before if anybody didn't really know much about his character you don't really have much to go back and, and really check out it's it's not really worth it considering how much uh, 
um, evolution really still needed to happen, and you could really see it. You could hear it within uh, Drew's promos, and uh, was unveiled as Drew McIntyre, the chosen one, as um, everybody imagined him to actually be the biggest blue chip, blue chip prospect, considering how um, he was labeled as Vince McMahon's guy. He was labeled as Vince McMahon's everything that was going to move up to be the next world champion, and that's how he was literally being promoted in every way, shape, or form. Well, he touched, he touched on that last week on Raw, where he pretty much called out Roman Reigns for saying, I was you before you was you. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, unquote, right? Yeah. And that's and, and it's perfect for where the storyline can actually go in that sense, because mm-hmm. now you're bringing out, now it actually adds that real-life drama, because it's absolutely true. That's exactly what um, Drew McIntyre was at that time, was supposed to be that blue-chip prospect that was supposed to move up and actually be that... Um, that multi-million dollar villain that people were going to pay to see get his ass whooped every single week. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. And then by uh, 2014, that was when he moved on to, he went to Evolve um, to start off uh, in, in his first, it was, yeah, his first post-WWE match. Galloway de- debuted for Evolve, defeating Chris Hero for uh, the Evolve Championship. The next day, Galloway defeated Anthony Nice uh, to retain the title. His first loss in Evolve came at Evolve 33 in a champion versus champion match against the, the DG USA Open, the Freedom Gate champion Ricochet. So yeah, Ricochet was our, was uh, was starting to, to creep up at, at that point. He was starting to come up through the, the indies. He'd already been doing indies at that point for a really long time, but at this point, now he was starting to be, he was, he was becoming the guy literally everywhere he was going. Um... Then, Still is the guy where he's going now, right? And yeah. for now, and then sky's the limit when he gets the main roster. God, I hope they use him right, though. I really do hope they use him right. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I said that before about Neville. I was really hoping that they were gonna do a little bit more with him. But at that point, though, that's the thing is, I think a lot of people have a lot of expectation to be lumped into that Neville category, where you expect that he's gonna do big things, but then he's only gonna just, you know, wrestle everybody in this in this one fashion. Put him, stick him on two hundred five, and then have him beat everybody every week. When in actuality, um, yeah, I think now that there's uh, now two hundred five is thriving, that they don't need anybody to, to come in and and save anything or, or yeah, do no Enzo's, no Neville's. It's just yeah. let us stand on our own, and we can we can do it. And they, yeah. they've been they've been doing. It. I don't want to say it's successful, but out of all the programs that WWE does offer, it's within the top five. Yeah, because right now there's only five, so I'll put it in the top five. But you're right. From where it started, yeah. to where it is now, big change. And that's and that's the best part is the fact that uh, since we are you know on this entire conversation of just you know self promotion and, and everything like that, that's where guys like that come from in terms of Shinsuke Nakamura and Ricochet and, uh, and all those all the names that came up through the indie darling scene and then they end up actually getting through, through the likes of Samoa Joe and AJ Styles these guys who actually Kevin end Owens. up getting to actually keep their name and in terms of where Kevin Owens where he was actually in terms of where he was Kevin Steen before but ended up having to change the name change the name in honor of his son which in honor really of, cool. in honor of the son but basically it's it's basically the same writing however it's literally the same um, direction in terms of all the merchandise, in terms of all the push, in terms of the look, in terms of the baggy shorts, in terms of the, the, the cut-off shirts, yep. all that yep. stuff. It's, it's all, the all same. his same look and everything that was all p- projected from the indie scene. So, as which far is as okay because if you, cha- I think if you drop your name and you like you drop part of a moniker, yeah, and come up with a new moniker, it's almost like a phoenix rising through the ashes. Yeah, you know, I did this here. I was successful with this. Yeah, I'm still going to keep a lot of this. 
but I'm just going to make a small change. Exactly. And hopefully, and it was just the oh, it hopefully people was, won't mind, and nobody yeah. did. Exactly, and nobody did, and it, it actually was for the better because all it did was benefit for him in terms of K, the KO and making well, that the brand for for his for his name. And I'll be with, completely honest with that. I didn't I didn't know anything about the guy till NXT. I really didn't. At that point, I was not head over heels with the indie. I myself was lazy. I didn't want to do the research. Didn't want to study anything. Just wanted to stay in my WWE bubble. And, and, and you know what? In, in terms for me, it was a little bit different because I actually only I didn't really know much outside of it because I just grew up with WWE for so long that I never really got the concept of what well, was you did, outside. Well, you because did. You knew about ECW. You knew about. You knew about w, WCW. You knew about like the Lucha Libre stuff in Mexico. Don't knock for your sure. knowledge, man. Don't knock your knowledge. You knew, sure. much like myself, you knew a little bit. For sure. But we didn't, we were lazy enough at that point. The internet was thriving. We were too lazy to really want to do the research. And I remember you were telling me and my wife about NXT. You were like, you guys got to watch the first NXT, this first takeover, this pay-per-view. These guys knocked it out of the park. You got to check out this one dude, Kevin Owens. You're going to fucking love him. And I remember later that night, I said to Stash, I'm like, let's take a chance. Steve recommended it. Let's watch it. We watched it. I remember texting you like an hour and a half later. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, yeah. all, I'm all in on Kevin Owens. Yeah, I was I like, that. I love this freaking guy. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that, was for, uh, that was for Neville and Sami Zayn. Neville and Sami Zayn. But ne- then I was more intrigued with Kevin Owens' first NXT match. And then him turning on Zayn at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. And then him right away streamlining to number one contender to take, take the prize because he's a prize fighter. Having that belt means I get more money for my family. And me being a family guy, I'm like, I can totally relate. Yeah, yeah. I would want to go in there and literally crush everybody. So I'm walking around with gold. So I get six figures. While everyone else is making, you know, 70, 80K, I'm making 100 plus. Yeah, and those are two, that's two prime examples right there of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and how they, they came from, especially with Sami Zayn being El Generico and how he came from <laughs> such a very, very, very weird state going on over in uh in ring of honor and they were putting on great matches was absolutely amazing but they but done then it they like got to four take it times to over right? they got, exactly it was so well prepared because they worked so well together that they just got to take that right over to nxt and make a lot of money with that and, and, and then come to, up to the main roster and yeah, make even more and make even more and yeah. take that whole storyline with them so if anything that was that that was a a, a great example of uh two indie guys that really started to reinvent it, but then coming along the tail end of that, then that reinvented in 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 the new way with guys like you know with uh, with um, uh, with uh, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and all the TNA guys that got to keep their names and uh, and reinvent themselves in that way and, and but on now on a much bigger platform. Right, of course. When you go from no no taking away from any promotion that anybody's ever worked for, but you go from promotion like TNA, which at the time was probably number two in North America to WWE mm-hmm. you, you take it and they're they're getting their they're getting their their fair shake at things and they're getting the promotion but then all of a sudden you bring them up and it's it is a much bigger platform mm-hmm. WWE is literally worldwide exactly no matter what no matter if you're a new Japan fan you're and you're from Japan you still know wrestlers from WWE same thing with same thing if you go UK you still know these guys these guys all have names they all have promotions because They've all, they're literally worldwide. So if you, if you get a contract with WWE, it literally is the biggest contract of your life. And you better play it right, because if you don't, you're going to get kicked to the curb. Much like Drew McIntyre, 
who was let go, found himself again. Do you have anything else yeah, you want to add about that? Found himself again after he, because he, he went back to Independence. That was from 2014 um, to 2017, and uh, TNA. Um, that was actually that was 2015, 2016. So he was actually spending qu- uh, quite a bit pro wrestling. Uh, Gorilla also 2015, 2016. So bouncing back and forth to different promotions and finding himself through Drew Galloway. And I remember just watching um, certain matches with this Drew. I, I just remember hearing about Drew Galloway and, and what was going on with Evolve through What Culture. And, and uh, I was just getting into What Culture. That was about 2016, 2017. Um, and I just remember hearing about Drew Galloway, who was once Drew McIntyre, and just and, and looking at this total reinvention of this character and thinking to myself, if this guy went back with this, with this attitude that he's got about himself, there's no way in hell that they're not going to shoot this guy right up to the top. And um, it was a little bit sketchy about what was going on with this whole um, Dolph Ziggler debacle. I, st- I still don't. I still don't agree with that a hundred percent. Oh, but I, I look I at the rankings every single week, and uh, and and Ziggler between uh, Ziggler Mac and uh, yeah McIntyre, um, Strowman, and the Shield. They're putting up the biggest numbers on Raw. So uh, as far as I'm concerned right now, um, Drew McIntyre absolutely was worth the wait because now I'm just absolutely certain that that's all you really got to do is just put yourself out there in terms of if you know that you're not a main event caliber individual, study main event caliber individuals and then go out there, learn from that, come back and understand that now you have all all the understanding, the tools of the trade, if you will, to be able to... Um, to put yourself and align yourself in that realm of being at the main event caliber. I agree with you. I agree with you. I just think that, I mean, you watch what, what Drew McIntyre did in his return to the company with NXT, how quickly he shot up to become the NXT champion, the great feuds that he had uh, with um, Andre Cien almost like th- that match was stellar. Those, that whole promo package, the two of them did, even with almost not really speaking great English, Selena Vega there as the interpreter, the whole thing was genius. And the way it went down, unfortunately, with the injury sidelined him. But as soon as he was healthy, right up to the main roster. Putting him with Ziggler, eh, not really a fan of it. Just because I think Ziggler's talented on his own. McIntyre's talented on his own. But now I see the storyline building for him to literally sidestep Strowman and go at Reigns. I see the package developing. Mm-hmm. We always knew the package was going to develop that way. So it'll only be a matter of time before they lose the tag team titles. He drops Ziggler and Strowman and is like, fucking, I'm on my own. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and with that match that you just talked about with the CN Almost match, um, that not only it it invented it reinvented both of them in the sense that that positioned CN Almost to okay now you're an XT champion and you've proven now obviously without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to go skyrocket to the top because of the match that you that you just performed this 45 minutes of craziness that you just performed with this other guy who very clearly was injured during the match. I think he injured his leg at some point during the match. His leg or um, his bicep I thought it might have been his arm not 100% sure but there definitely was an injury there injury that happened that took place during the match and uh, sidelined but at the same time it was very clear that um, that also was um, the that match that was everybody was kind of looking at it okay if this if this match goes over really well and this kind of pace that CN almost is going to bring McIntyre to or or yeah because he changed his name back to, to McIntyre um, if, if this really goes at the pace that uh, CN almost can cut and keep uh, keep McIntyre at for the next 45 minutes and he's able to keep up with that, then this will definitely propel him into a main event caliber guy. 
So would you say, uh, because we talked about a guy like Jericho who worked his way up the ranks and then went back to indie kind of on his own when he'd already developed the brand and became a name. You're talking about a guy, Drew McIntyre, who started indies, went to yeah. WWE, went back to indies, and back to WWE. Would you say the second tour in the indie circuit, only brief, not as, as much as the first tour with the six years, would you say that shaped him better? Or if he had just stayed with WWE, if he had just followed the three-man band line, do you think do you think he would still have the success that he's having now, coming back the second time around, or do you literally think he would have been lost in the mid card when the fact that his blue chip prospect just didn't come through at that time? No, exactly. I think that's exactly what would have happened. I think um, you, would, you think he would have been you, lost in the mid card. If you stick in the WWE bubble, you become the WWE bubble. That's exactly what ends up. Stay in the mid card. If like Dolph Ziggler had left and gone away somewhere and reinvented his entire character, not to look like and act like and pretend to be like Shawn Michaels. And come back is something completely different in the way that he want, in, in in the way that his old promos were suggesting and making fun of all the everybody's entrances and everything like that. Um, you get out of the WWE bubble and you become that, and then you come back and and you now reinvented yourself and you almost you you take away from little tidbits away from all these other people that you run into you come into contact with through all these other promotions that that uh, you're going after and especially the guys who have left. And the WWE bubble have all said the exact same thing, that they're all happy and ecstatic that they did it because they realize that there's so much more out there. And quite frankly, um, there's an ability to actually make a lot from Cody Rhodes' mouth. Uh, there's an ability to make a lot more money than that, than what you're making there. Sure, because you, you're literally controlling everything about yourself. Yeah. You don't have to pay the bookers. You don't got to pay this, this, and this. Now you're at that point where you walk in and they pay you. Yeah. And it's they, literally like they with, pay you a shit ton. It's literally like with music now. How where a lot of bands these days are really going all DIY, whereas everybody nowadays in wrestling has all found it the way to. We don't need promoters anymore. We're just going to go ahead and do our own promotion. Yeah, no, you're right. For the most part, you're right. No, you're right. You're 100 percent right. And, but it also shows too that if you do your own promotion, you may take the long road, but you'll eventually get there. Exactly. But in the case of Cody Rhodes, he started off with a global entity. So when he left, he already had a name. Not a character name, but he already had like yeah. proof in the pudding. I can do this. He just went away and was able to be more free yes. with how his character worked. And he took a product that was actually worth selling. He knew, all I got to do is just take this product with me because if I'm the product, which is what is the product, it's you as the individual that is the product. Well, dye I'm, your hair like daddy. Right? <laughs> and no offense, I mean, dye your hair the same color as daddy and... Things change, right? Yeah, and just have a and have great ideas behind everything you're doing. Have great merch ideas behind everything you're selling. Have great ideas behind everything you're you're utilizing with the tools of the trade for your wrestling style. And make sure that you have a great a great acting ability behind you to make yourself believable and presentable as as a product, as a hundred percent product that you're selling to the world. And if you have those abilities, then you'll be able to go out there and go make a lot of money. Apparently, in the indie scene. <laughs> yeah, from what we've been hearing. So let's talk about a guy. Let's. Are you sorry? Are you done with Drew? Yeah, Drew done finished? with done with Drew. Okay, so let's fat, let's go over to another guy who actually took an extreme long road to get to WWE for a brief period, then go away, come back briefly, and go away again. James Ellsworth. Yeah, I know a lot of people are probably scratching their head like, why why is the Straight Talk panel wasting the time? Talking about James Ellsworth. And then I sit there and go, why are you wasting your time thinking about why this is a waste of time? This is the, this is so important. This is. This is really important. And upon doing my research, this was kind of one you mentioned. You put the bug in my ear. 
So I actually did my research and I was actually pretty impressed with what I found. Did not realize that the wrestling career had really stretched this long. So from oh, 2000, yeah. 2002 to 2016, he literally performed on the indie circuit. Everywhere he could under the name of Pretty Jimmy Dream. And he was one part of the tag team with Adam Ugly as the Pretty Ugly. That's actually, I'm not going to lie, that's a pretty, pretty cool name. I, I, I'm kind of digging that. They won several regional championships throughout Northeastern United States, including uh, American Combat Wrestling, Big Time Wrestling, First State Championship Wrestling, and Pretty Ugly debuted at 302 Pro Wrestling in their first show. Uh, in 2006, Morris made his Combat Zone Wrestling debut as CD in the CZW Tournament of Death 5, teaming with Drew Gulak, who is also on, who is now on 205 Live, and ended up losing to Blackout. Ruckus and Robbie Marino. Uh, after that, he bounced around in CWZ, uh, Battle Royals, all kinds of success. Then in April 2009, Kobe Wrestling Promotions, All or Nothing 3. Morris defeated Draven, Tommy Rodriguez, Salih Shea in a four-way ladder match to become Kobe Promotions Cruiserweight Champion. And on June 27th, at Hot and Bothered, Morris dropped a championship to Crazel Shea. Uh... He also runs. He also ran. He also runs a professionally wrestling, wrestling promotion. My apologies, known as Adrenaline Championship Wrestling or ACW, which he founded in September of 2009. On June 4, 2016, Pretty Ugly won a tournament to be crowned the inaugural 302 Pro Wrestling Tag Team Champions by defeating the Dub Boys and Riot City's Most Wanted in the tournament finals. Uh, so fast forward to that early appearance, 2014 and 2016. As we all know, he came up in the moniker as James Ellsworth. He premiered briefly with Adam Rose's Rosebuds at the time. And then he competed in his first singles match on Raw. Uh, and he quickly, uh, but he, he was one of the botch talents, if you will, quickly being defeated by Braun Strowman. That's at the time when they were bringing up all these kind of uh, low-level guys to literally have squash matches against Strowman to show his dominance. So that's where Ellsworth got his first taste of WWE then he had the storyline that we all know with AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose. And then eventually having the relationship with Carmella. And then he left. He returned to the indie wrestling circuit 2018 to the present. Uh, he made his appearance back at Destiny Wrestling. Which is great that we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to be mentioning that. Because he's, uh, he, we are actually going to be sitting down with the head promoter and founder of Destiny Wrestling. Coming up very soon. So we're going to have that. This is pretty cool because he won the first ever Santino Cobra Cup. Destiny Wrestling, which was pretty awesome. Santino Morella, as we all know, if you're a wrestling fan, you know the guy. He's a Canadian boy. So uh, it was an, it was an, he interfered in a match with Austin Aries and Pete Dunne, who also were brought in by Destiny Wrestling. That's why I can't wait to sit down with this guy, pick his brain about all these great talents that he's bringing in. Because even though Pete Dunne is is recognized as the WWE UK champion, he still has free reign to go out and do what he needs to do indie wise, and that's great because he's walking around with a piece of WWE gold. But he has free reign to still earn his living indie-wise, which is great. Back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, dude, you know you would never see that. If you're walking around with WWE gold, you're staying WWE until you lose that gold. So it's great that they're starting to branch out and starting to kind of loosen the reins on that stuff. Um, From there, he appeared on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, where he challenged Nick Aldis for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. And he was defeated on February 20th. Ellsworth proclaimed himself the world intergender champion, creating his own championship. First defense in the world intergender championship 
was on February 22nd at Bar Wrestling, where he defeated Joey Ryan. Now the now intergender title was defended at GTS Wrestling, a YouTube wrestling promotion, and he teamed with Gilberg and captured the ACW Tag Team Champion for the second time on April 1st. Uh, he returned back to WWE earlier on in this year, again to have a brief uh, appearance with um, uh, Carmella, brief storyline there before he was again fired by Paige. But you can see the fact that he's done some stuff that has been impressive and always gone back to the indies. But now that he's gone from the indies, worked his way up, went to WWE, kind of developed a name and a character, left, went away, made some interesting changes on the indie scene, world intergender title. We also know he had mixed he had mixed intergender matches with women. There was a YouTube video where he literally pile-drived a chick through the head of a dishwasher. <laughs> like he literally, dishwasher or, or washing machine or dryer, it was one of those ho- household appliances. They had like a backyard street fight with all these like stoves and kitchen. The match was, the match was okay, but it was just, wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. How, how far have we come? Apparently, James Ellsworth uh, now only wrestles women, and it's it, that's what I mean about when I was talking about when you have a, a great product and you just know what to do with it, and you know how to take it and be your own self-promoter in that way. James Ellsworth, just very simply, and if you listen to him in, in interviews, um, he's very calculated when it comes to his understanding of his, his own self-promotion of his product that he has and carries. Well, he him. knows he can't fight a guy like Braun Strowman, but yeah, he can mix it up with a girl not taking anything away from female wrestlers, but he can mix it up with a woman who's the same height, size as him, because he's a very small cat, and he actually has a chance to win. They touched on that briefly in WWE with the matches with Becky Lynch, but they weren't as good as what he's doing on the indie scene. Yeah, because the best part is, there's no way that he could, that this guy would be able to take on anybody. So that's why it's, <laughs> it's really, it's a, it's a funny thing when you have somebody trying to square, when you have a dude like James Ellsworth trying to square off against any chick, it really doesn't matter. He could be squaring off against a small child, and it still wouldn't feel to me in the, th- in the sense that I would think that the, the child's probably going to win. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, too, Ellsworth has that face that you do. You just want to hit. You want to hit or you want to see get hit. And that's the best part is most people, they want they pay money to see James Ellsworth get hit. And so as far as, far as he's ever been concerned, ever after, especially after listening to him in interviews, um, it's it's just awesome to listen to somebody who really concept, who understands the concept that if I just put myself in a building and just say that I'm going to square off against a chick, everybody in that building is going to want to see the chick take my head off. And so that's his point of going around and doing what he's doing. And you want to go see the James Ellsworth show? That's basically what you're going to get every yeah. single time. Yeah. And I you know I would like to throw my hat in the ring right now. I would like to challenge James Ellsworth for the intergender championship. If he ever listens, if he puts it up, I will challenge you. Anytime, any place, I will challenge you because I am out of shape. I am overweight. But if I get you in a corner, it'll hurt. It will hurt. All right? So, yeah, I mean, you know what? I got to give it up to guys like Ellsworth. Got to give it up to a guy like he knows he knows what works for him. And he knows what works against him. And he knows that the fact that people hate him. A lot of people just dislike him. So, no matter what, and it's that old school heat. No matter what yep. you're doing, wrong or right, you're not going to please anybody. But seeing you get your just desserts, fans will pay bucket loads for that. And yep. he's proven it. He's proven it. Those YouTube videos that he's been doing, the fights that he's been putting on YouTube, the fights that he's doing indie-wise, they all get main draw. As far yep. as I understand, he sells out whatever arena it is. doesn't matter if it's 1,500 seats, 5,000 seats. He sells it out. If his name's on the card, he will sell it out. Because people just want to see what stupid crap he's going to do. And he got a tremendous pop when he came back for the little Carmella skit that he was in for that two seconds. And 
all of what felt like about two seconds, but uh, it really did the job justice. Oh, baby girl. <laughs> oh, baby girl. <laughs> Everybody's a baby girl. Even James Ellsworth that day was baby girl. It was pretty cool to see him get carried out by security and thrown through the doors. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was pretty cool. All right, before we get into the final topic, which is the meat and potatoes, I'll just want to briefly touch on another guy of the likes of the hardcore legend, Cactus Jack, or Mankind, or Dude Love. A lot of names, doesn't matter. Mick Foley. This is a guy who's proven that self-promotion, no matter what you look like or how athletically gifted you are, you literally can have a career, become a legend, and then have a career after, which is fantastic. Post-WWE, he's had a great... And I'm not just talking about going to Comic-Cons, signing some, signing some autographs, taking pictures with fans... I'm talking about these intimate and interactive things that he's doing, this world, this, these tours that he's doing. You and I just got back two weeks ago from seeing him at the Hell in the Cell, celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Hell in the Cell. And Incredible. They, now the same conversation that you and I saw in a room with 98 other people, he actually, now you can watch it anytime you want on the WWE Network. Same conversation. A couple things different here and there, but same conversation. We got to see it in so much more of an intimate setting, which was fantastic. And um, we've got a soundbite, which when we do our, our October profile, which is my profile, I will touch on Mick Foley. We're doing it on Mick Foley. I'm not going to give too much away, but this is a guy who literally worked his way up. He's worked for a lot of wrestling promotions. We know he's been WWF. We know he's been WCW. We know he was in ECW. He was also in TNA, National Wrestling Alliance, Global Wrestling Federation, and in numerous promotions in Japan. And he's also obviously a WWE Hall of Famer. Uh, his early career was pretty much just training in early career was 1983 to 1991. He was formally trained by Dominic DiNucci at his wrestling school in Freedom, Pennsylvania. He drove several hours a week from his college campus, and he debuted in 1993. In addition to appearing in DiNucci's cards, Foley and several other students also took part in some squash matches as jobbers in WWF TV tapings, primetime wrestling, and superstars of wrestling, where Foley wrestled under the name of Jack Foley or Nick Foley, in one of those matches in his very first episode of Superstars. Um, from there, he went to, uh, sorry, after several years in the independent circuit, which was in and around all over Japan. We know he had those awesome matches, the barbed wire matches, the fire matches. So uh, there was the, also the explosive, the, was it, the, was it, what was it called? The TNT matches? Is that what they called them? Or was it the death explosion matches? Remember when they had the panels and the ground, you got pushed down on the mat. And there was explosives underneath. It wasn't a big charge, but it was enough to... Yeah, it was the king of the king of the death match. Thank you. Sorry. My apologies. King of the death match. That's why you're here. <laughs> you're not just a guy with a face with radio. You're a guy that helps me when I stumble. I'm not going to so, lie. I was fishing in my brain for it. I'm like, it's this something... Oh, yes. It's the king of the death match. <laughs> yeah. So, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, king of the death match. Thank you. From there, he got a shot at WCW, uh, where he, re he wrestled under Cactus Jack. He was billed as Cactus Jack Manson. And he was uh, a major part of Sanagor Abaka's stable, uh, which was supposed to be like a, I guess, an impromptu Charles Manson thing that they had. With yeah, the, that was when they were doing a lot of horror film guys, and you could pay guys to come in as the horror film guys and get away with it because you couldn't do it as the couldn't write it off because it was all trademarking stuff that you had to worry about. So it was um, kind of touch and go with stuff like that. But there, you could totally get away with it. Yeah, and that was, sorry, that was not WCW, that was World Class Championship Wrestling, so that was WCCW. Uh, after that, 91 to 93, he had a brief brief stint in WCW Wrestling, and then uh, he was in NWA Eastern Extreme Championship Wrestling from 94 to 96, then he was in Smoky, Smoky Mountain Wrestling in Japan 
from 94 to 96. Again, not the most athletically gifted, but the fact that he gave so much to fans, he got a name. He got a name for being the guy that literally would take his body and put it on the line for you. And the Hell in the Cell is a picture-perfect match of what yeah. he would do for fans. And that, that was match, his product. That, that you realize that that's my product, is I'm fully capable of taking way more pain than the average bear. So I can totally get away with this in a lot of promotions, and people pay a lot of money to see me do a lot of crazy shit to my body. Well, for me, it was, honestly, for me, it was just one of those things where I was more so impressed when an underdog like that finally became a champion. That's what drew me to Foley. That was my connection to Foley. Despite all the all the great matches that he had and the legendary moments and the stuff that he made you feel. One of my favorite matches is not a lot of people's, but I love the Boiler Room Brawl. That's one of my all-time favorites. You know, you got Undertaker, Mankind, locked in a Boiler Room. Mm-hmm. Pipes, chairs. I think at one point in time, somebody pulled out a hammer. I'm not sure where that came from. But there's all kinds of... It was just a really cool match. They only did one of them, which sucked. But it's one of those matches that stuck out to me. So much that I hunted down like the greatest matches Undertaker DVD. Just because it was on there. Because they didn't have it anywhere else. At the time, the network wasn't there. Now I can go get it on the network anytime. But that's one of my personal favorites was the Boiler Room Brawl. I know. A lot of people are rolling their eyes. You're looking at me like, eh. eh. No, it, it's, it, it was really good. I'm just actually saving myself for the actual... When we do Mick Foley and we do his, 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 his profile, and then I'll go into all the actual stuff that uh, I want to talk about with him. Specifically about all his favorite matches. But the Boiler Room Brawl um, was probably one of the coolest, most innovative things ever. Um, there was only one more after that, but it was with, um, I think it was Big Show or Mankind. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a lot more safer then, though. It just, it wasn't very good. It was like, it was, it was just a man. It was okay. Cause it was just more, um, it was more meaningful with Taker. Cause those kinds of things of like, you know, with the boiler room brawl and it being so, um, so grim and grime and, and this nasty place for a match to take place. And specifically with between like that kind of ominousness with the undertaker and, uh, and mankind, it just made way more sense for, for those two to, to go at it in a place like that. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. So then from there, obviously, we know WWE. Uh, that was his career that we touched on there. Won the championship, three faces of Foley. Then he went to TNA. From there, various storylines, indie circuits, came back as commissioner of uh, Monday Night Raw for a brief period. And in between all of that, successful author, kids' books and biographies, um, multiple, multiple, multiple conversations, interviews, podcasts. He also has his own podcast as well. All the stuff that Mick Foley's done and did, and the fact that he's literally just built the brand of being a legend. Everybody who comes up to meet the guy is such a sweetheart, nicest cat in the world, even though we only literally got five minutes in total with him. Super genuine guy. Didn't want to shake my hand that day because he had a little bit of an ear infection. So we just did an elbow bump. Classy. You know, complete classiness. And just uh, just a sweetheart of an individual. And the fact that he's showing you that, that, that you can progress. You can go from indies. You can go back and forth. You can go away. You can come home. You can have a life post-wrestling. And you can still make money. And you can still use your brand. And even though people would say, oh, well, you're living in the past. No, he's not reliving his glory days. It's not like he's going back on a cell to do it one more time. He's talking about the moments that made him who he is. He's talking about the moments that we all remember as fans. And to hear those intimate tellings of behind the scenes, that's what fans live for nowadays. Because KFAB is dead. Everybody knows that. KFAB is dead, consistently broken on a regular basis. A perfect example recently, Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman. The first feud they had a couple years ago, the ambulance match. They tore each other to shreds. Next day, they're touring around Houston. 
Yeah. They're like arm in arm with Starbucks taking pictures. Yeah. Like, KFAB is completely and utterly dead. Everybody knows it's a storyline. Everybody knows it's not real. Everybody knows this guy over here and this guy over here don't like each other on camera. Off camera, they're like you and me. Sit around and shoot the shit. Seriously, they are. They sit yeah. around and shoot the shit. They're just bros. So KFAB is completely dead. There's no secrets anymore. Even if you people want to believe there's secrets, there's not. Anytime before a pay-per-view, the weekend before, you can literally research that pay-per-view and get 45 different articles about stuff that leaked out. Only a couple times were they able to keep things very quiet. Very quiet. Only a few times. But nowadays, there's no secrets anymore in the business. Everybody knows whose friends are friends and all that stuff. But the great thing about it is, is that they're starting to take that and use that real-life friendships to pull them in. Perfect example would be Charlotte and Becky Lynch, right? Stuff like that. Like, even though they're close friends behind the curtain, front of the curtain, they're using that close friendship to make Becky, like, literally one of the best female heel heels in a very long time. She's doing it better than Charlotte did. I know we're going kind of off tangent here, but it was just an example of things. Mm -hmm. So, K-Fab K is dead, but he's proven that you can literally have a great career, go off as a legend, come back every now and again, even for a match or two, or come back just to be on camera so people can just love you. When they see him, he gets loud pops almost everywhere he goes. And then you can disappear, go tell your stories, still come back. Guest referee a Hell in a Cell match, literally the weekend after we saw him. Yeah. The weekend after we saw him. Actually, the Monday after we saw him, he's on Raw. I'm going to be the special guest referee. <laughs> he didn't really do much in the match because he really he's not very mobile. But still, it was great to see him. It's always great to see a legend when they come back. Even if they're not getting in the ring just to be involved in a capacity. See Stone Cold come in, kick some ass, do a couple stunners, drink, well, try to drink beer. Most of it just pours out of his mouth. And then leave. <laughs> Perfect. And he probably made a quick 10 grand for the appearance. Maybe more. Who knows? But the fact oh, is, is that Foley has literally shown all these guys the cards. Laid out the whole map on the table. Start here, end up here, post is here. If you do it right, and you do it correctly, you can still have a life after wrestling in the business you love. And it doesn't fall on commentator or being backstage. You can still be a personality in the forefront to the fans. Yeah. And a lot of these guys are, are out there doing it right now in terms of uh, not just Mick Foley, but uh, Jake, Jake Roberts, um, Tito Santana. Um, that's going to be the next one that's actually coming up on Scorpion Entertainment, which is going to be really cool. That one just got announced this afternoon. Um um, 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 in, in terms of, uh, anybody that's, that's really out there right now doing, doing this, we're just the spoken word, uh, Ken Shamrock is out there doing it right now. Um, and they're all self-promoting Yeah, Ted DiBiase, and they're all out there promoting themselves as, uh, the, the spoken word guys that are just going out there and telling stories about what a lot of people get in, intrigued by these days, which I find really fascinating because it's me as a wrestling fan. This was me about... Um, th this was me about 10 years ago of getting into the, the idea of what's this behind the scenes stuff actually really like not just okay there's this wrestling match happening in front of me but why is it happening in front of me and what's all these what's all these things that are happening to make this match happen and, and what are the mechanics behind it and, and what's the psychology behind all of this and what's the reason that this guy's you know the, when Jake Roberts for example when he would get in the ring and he would he would, he would lay on the bottom turnbuckle and just kind of he would just kind of do that thing with his eyes where he would look around and just kind of make it that 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 like he's really getting in that setting for what the match is going to happen. And I would always ask myself, why is that happening? And um, there would be a lot of these questions that I want I want to get answered. 
Um, but now we're into a state where it's been in the last couple of years where a lot of people have been really into this of, of checking out the behind the scenes stuff and the way things happen and the, and the way the business works and, and all these things of especially the, the magic of how a match actually happens and how you build one and, and, and all these things that all the, the wrestlers actually know all the behind the scenes stuff because they're doing it. But we as fans, it just makes it all the more interesting to actually really understand that stuff and the little things that take the place. Psychology, the psychology yeah, just, of it. Yeah. The sheer psychology yeah. of what, even just what you were just talking about, about how they're just, just backstage, about how they're just buds of just like, what are the, some of the things that they talk about before the match? Of like, how do they build the match together? And you know, stuff. Oh, like, I can tell you that. Just really cool stuff like that. I can tell you that. Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, okay, I'm going to go out there and beat your ass. And then. We're going to go get a mocha choco latte. Starbucks. Hope you have good insurance. Yeah. <laughs> There's your car. <laughs> oh, man. You That's know what, how though? Braun Strowman builds the match. I always thought for me when I was a kid, I always thought when two wrestlers were in the ring and they're like, they're in the lock. They do the first, they lock up for the first time. It's like, hey, what do you want to go after dinner? Yeah. Oh, man, I, saw, I saw like a McDonald's down the street, but I don't want anything too heavy. I was thinking there's a, there's a really great, little restaurant up the street I saw fresh pasta you know would you like to do that I don't know bro maybe just paneer bread I don't know bro think of, think Sub about it, it while all right, I listen then clothesline alright listen think about it clothesline okay. hammerlock alright you, you think it's steak you know, I always thought that that was what was going down every right? time they go back to do a new hole and then they're coming up with different restaurants to go to so how's your kids man oh, yeah, my son just graduated top this class. that's fucking great yeah that was John Cena and Triple H at the greatest Royal Rumble oh for sure, for sure it was. For sure, we're gonna do headlock. Okay, so we're gonna do headlocks and clotheslines, and they'll love every bit of it because they've never seen us wrestle once. Yeah, we don't have to go too hardcore into this. We don't have to get too tactical. Yeah. All right, so that's pretty much all the wrestlers I got. I know you got one more, and we chose to close the show with this guy because this guy is literally the the peak of starting off very luckily big, being a namesake. To a WWE and WCW legend, it's all good. But yeah, we we kind of went off here and there, but still a great conversation nonetheless. So totally. Steve Steve is going to take us home with Cody Rhodes. Yes, Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes. Probably the most uh, or Cody uh, as is he, he prefers to be called. Um, and it's actually you know what there's a lot of controversy behind that because a lot of people are like why'd you drop the Rhodes name because it's your dad and because it's the Rhodes legacy and this that and the rest of it but it's actually it's actually in terms of the way that he put it, it was very simply to get away from that in terms of the same way that uh, that Dustin wanted to be Goldust just really wanted a, a carve out his own name. legacy wanted his own name and that's it and that's the way this thing is going to go um, and uh, after doing uh, the, well, it was Cody Rhodes in uh, WWE, but then when going out in the independent circuit, then it's okay now. It's time to change the name, but carve my own legacy and actually carve my own path. Because at that point um, of doing WWE up to 2000, um, uh, 2016, I believe. Um, I want to say that, yeah, 2015, 2016. Yeah, it was like yeah. 2000, 2015, 16 is when he decided to uh, take off for independence, and that was after just a, a while of trying to come up with this decision in the middle of the whole Stardust um, debacle. And there were some actually really good ideas for those of you who don't really know anything about the whole Stardust debacle and how that went down. Um, apparently, Cody actually had some really good ideas for just Stardust in general and how that whole idea was going to play out. Where Stardust was, uh, of course, the playoff on Goldust and him being that alter ego of Goldust. But also at the exact same time, there was these constant Cody chants that were going on in the arenas while later on into the into Stardust. 
And at that point, Cody just kind of got the idea of, well, why don't I just come up? Why, why don't I take Stardust, but also start to make my own my own voice come through instead of doing the Stardust voice, letting people know that Cody is actually still in there. That it's not like it's just a, a that Stardust is in constant turmoil. That Stard the Cody is actually still within Stardust. It's like a, like an inner battle. Yeah, battle it was like a, a battle of, of oh, inner turmoil. This. And it could was, you imagine like halfway through a promo, Stardust voice, he comes out Cody Rhodes voice like that. Would yeah, be sick. It just sounded like such so a really twisted. cool idea. So it was twisted, super man. twisted. But yeah. they didn't want to go for it. Of Bottom course, because they're PG. PG. Exactly. Out of all that, you know, calamity that I just described. Um, that turned out to be not a thing that WWE wanted to go for. So um, that was pretty much the tipping point of when Cody just decided to go off on his own. Um, independent circuit hit, and after he left WWE, Cody continued working under his real name on the independent circuit, but often hesitated in using it uh, to in, in order to avoid conflict with WWE. On, ju- on uh, June 3rd, it was announced Rhodes' first post-WWE match would be at Evolve, in uh, Jopa, Maryland on August 19th where he would face Zack Sabre Jr. On, uh, at Evolve 66. At, uh, the follow-up announcement um, was made that Rhodes signed for, uh, parti- to participate in unspecified dates for the company. On August 19th, Rhodes defeated Sabre by submission. After the match, Rhodes called out Drew Galloway. The following day, he lost to Chris Hero. So, um, yeah, that's that was pretty much at uh, obviously from uh, what I described about everything that went down with Drew. That was pretty much at that same point when um, him, and Galloway, and uh, Cody Rhodes they were pretty much were they were right in the in the same alignment. Nice. Uh, Rhodes wrestled for the Northeast Wrestle the wrestling promotion from August 25th to the 28th. On August 25th, he beat Brian Anthony in a match with Ricky Steamboat as the guest referee in Panoma, New York. On August on August 25th, Rhodes beat Mike Bennett in in uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. The match was announced on June 3rd, and each other's wives were in their corner. On August 27th, he beat Kurt Angle in Rappingers in Rappinger Falls, New York. On August 28th, Rhodes beat Sammy Callahan. Um, and I believe also, yeah, that was when Sammy Callahan was, was pretty much all was, was coming up in the world and independent circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Ring of Honor 2016. Um, then he went on to do uh, TNA. He went on to do New Japan. And um, this culminated, uh, well, of course, with New Japan. I'm going to just back up here with New Japan. Um, that was when uh, Cody Rhodes, he was billed as the American Nightmare. And that was, of course, his ode to his father, who was the American Dream. And, um, and that was when Cody, he appeared at New Japan Pro Wrestling's World Tag Team Finals via video package. He announced himself as the newest member of the Bullet Club. On July 4th, 2017, Cody defeated Juice Robinson in his first debut, in his debut match at Wrestle Kingdom 11 in, to- in the Tokyo Dome. Um, ever since then, that's pretty much been, uh, ever since the Bullet Club, that's when Cody has really um, taken his name to the next level. And then gone from not only just uh, being one of the biggest wrestling names on planet Earth, along with Kenny Omega, which that's been that was the whole point of aligning himself in the Bullet Club because it detached himself along with Kenny Omega. I believe um, I, I haven't heard it in interviews, but it seems to me like Cody was just that damn smart that he realized the concept that Kenny is the biggest wrestler on planet Earth. If I align myself and puzzle piece myself 
with him as he's the good guy and he needs a super villain to go against and I align myself with him and we battle it out to see who's going to be the actual leader of the Bullet Club, we're going to make a lot of money together. Boy, and did he they. did just that. <clears throat> so I really believe that that's where Cody's head was at that point. That, that was, um, side note, I checked this out beforehand because I just wanted to make sure I was right about it. When they did All In, yeah. that was the most successful independent pay-per-view of all time. Yep, and that's the exactly draws, what I was, I was literally just The draws and the money that they got were freaking huge, man. Yep, All In was massive. It was the first 10,000-seater that they were planning to uh, they were planning to do for any independent wrestling show on planet Earth, and this is the this is the absolute reinvention of everything that we've talked about on this show, on this podcast today. Um, this is the biggest, imp- most important piece of information that completely, utterly makes it absolutely known that that everything has changed in terms of promotion, in terms of promoters, and in terms of how a wrestler can take everything about promotion and completely flip it over and make it make whatever they want for any anything they want to do and anything they want to have, they can have it. And Cody Rhodes has, has proved this with All In 2018. In 2017, Dave Metzler suggested that an independent wrestling show would be unable to sell out 10,000 seat, 10, seat arena in the United States. Rhodes, along with the Young Bucks, challenged the idea by planning a show specifically for purposes of drawing 10,000 fans. In May, it was announced that the show would be named All In and, and will be held on September 1st, 2018 at Sears Center Arena, including many popular wrestlers from various promotions such as Ring of Honor, New Japan, and the Independent Circuit. On May 13th, 2018, tickets to All In sold out in 30 minutes. At the event... Cody defeated Nick Aldis to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which made him and his father, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the first father and son to ever hold the championship. And that's where the uh, where, where you can put the icing on the cake on that one for so, everything we've talked so about today. What you're saying is, is I have two points. One, I've always said it, but now I can say it out loud. Dave Meltzer is an idiot. Yeah, and that's a that's a hundred percent. Sorry, Dave Metzler is an idiot. I was so hyped up that I said his name freaking wrong again, but he's an idiot. You can't sit there and start flapping your gums and say this will never happen. You don't think there are guys with big enough cojones to sit there and go, hmm, hmm, yeah, yeah, I can't, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. And that's what I love about Meltzer and how he did that was the fact that he put it out there that it, it couldn't be done. Cody and the Young Bucks immediately followed up with, yeah, it can be done, and we're going to do it. Hold and on, hold it. on. Are you time out. Are you saying this is a work? No, no, no. I'm not saying this is a work at all. The way I you're think... spinning it right now made it seem like it's a work. Oh, no. I don't like, think well, it's a we'll work get, at we'll all. We'll get Meltzer to I, say this. Oh, no. I think it's legitimately, I think, I think legitimately Dave Meltzer legitimately didn't think that anybody could sell out an independent wrestling show, could sell out 10,000 seats. And then Cody listened to that, and from so many people and so many wrestlers who don't like what Dave Meltzer has to say, immediately turned that around and went, we're going to sell the shit out of this. We're not only going to sell 10,000 seats, but there's going to be people who are going to be turned away because they can't because there's not enough tickets for them. But that's okay, because we'll yeah. sell it on pay-per-view, and we'll make even more freaking money, and they did. And they proved that because they did it, this is just, that's the only one time that they ever did it. And it was more affordable, it. too. It was more affordable on pay-per-view. And there was a lot that went into that show. I noticed that there was a lot, that, a lot, a lot, a lot that well, went into that show. Every match on that card was great. I mean, we can go back and list the match on the card, but I actually just finished, recently just finished watching it again for the second time. And man, every match on that card was a five-star match. Yeah. They were all 
really good, really talented, really well thought out and constructed card. Let's pull all these pieces together from all these great promotions, but let's put them together in one roof. It yeah. was great, man. It was super, super great. Yeah, and actually, um, this is the last thing that we can touch on for today's show is the fact that uh, what Chris Jericho's cruise is doing right now, the Chris Jericho cruise, and how he's literally doing the exact same thing as what All In just did, only, of course, with Chris Jericho's name, um, it, it's a much bigger draw, but the fact that he's doing it on a cruise ship, and now he's actually taking his own name and calling it the, cruise, the Chris Jericho cruise and wants to make this an annual thing that happens once a year of being able to have actually wrestling on a cruise ship and reinventing things that way in terms of a promotion of not only you get a getaway, you get to go on a cruise and you get to go, you get to go in the ocean, but you also get wrestling in the middle of it all. <laughs> no, yeah, hundred percent. So right quickly before we go, one question to post to you and then I'll give my answer. Cody Rhodes, does he ever come back? Cody Rhodes, um, I think if he ever comes back, I think it would be the same thing if it was, you know, the much the same as they want to see Kenny Omega come through. I think it would be um, a one-time deal. I think it would be one of those one-time deals, or I think it would be eventually what I believe to be um, a Bullet Club meets uh, WWE meets, you know, the the Balor Club or meets, you know, whoever, um, whatever faction at that point is is going to be they're going to be going head to head with. I think it's going to be one of one of those one-off things that it's going to happen, but it's not really going to be for a long-term thing. It'll be for a quick, it'll be for a quick couple of weeks, finish off at a pay-per-view, and then boom. Or come in for what what it should be. It should be actually for a big storyline. I think it should be for a WrestleMania caliber storyline, something should, along those lines. Should try to do the invasion angle, but right this time. Yeah, not make it stale. That's the worst part about it is that people get so anticipated for these things to happen, and then when they do, then it gets real stale after about like whatever. After you flash forward like six months, a year. Whatever the case may be, because now you've seen it every week. Now it's a thing where you're just you're seeing it all the time, and so now it's in your face all the time, and it just becomes as unappealing as um, what it, eventually the unappeal comes back as the way it was unappealing when he was there before. The best way to do it would be to literally have the Bullet Club interfere during the Royal Rumble. Yeah, have and, something and really then, cool like and that, and then have and then have like Cody or Kenny win. The have, a, have a really big invasion like that of some of an epic proportions. People would never expect it. And, and, and then have and Cody and Kenny mind in a single yeah. night. And then have Cody and Kenny literally go around after they win at WrestleMania, the Universal or the WWE Championship, and go around carrying it. Yes, yeah. wrestling in other promotions, unified, share the money. Yeah. But what all improved is my other point that I want to make right before we wrap up, before we announce next week's show, and get all the good tidbits that we got coming. All improved one thing, and I've been wanting to say this for so many years of my life, and now I can say it. Be careful, Vinny Mac. Because there is legitimate competition. There is legitimate competition. If all improved one thing, if all the indies band together, it's like that, um, you've seen the movie The Warriors, right? Back in the day, the gang movie? No, yes? Yes. Okay. Remember the guy at the beginning? One gang. <laughs> to rule them all. Literally, if you take every indie promotion and they were all to unify against the WWE, Vince McMahon will close his doors in five years. And I guarantee it. Maybe, I guarantee it. Maybe, and then I also see Vinnie Mac going. <laughs> you sold out one venue with ten thousand seats. That's I sell cute. out. I sell out twenty thousand four times a week. I that's it. cute. I do that four times a week, and I have an entire network. So, um, but this is the first shot, man. They're building. I guarantee no, and, you. And that's the point. They're building. That's why it's that so was a test, right? That was it's, it's, a it's, test run. That's why this is so important to talk about because this is where the future is going. This is where things are picking up, and this is and now it's picking up in a big way. After that was a huge 
shot in the mouth to Vince McMahon for, hey, bud, um, the independents, uh, we're not as small as you think we are. Yeah. Unified, we're, we're dangerous. Yeah, we're dangerous. We might not, We okay, granted, we might not be able to compete with you on a global level in the way that you do it, or even as far as New Japan or anything like that. New Japan can't even compete with Vinnie Mac of how, of how long he's been doing it. Well, on globally, no. no globally and, and, and so on and so forth. But however, um, man, these guys are, are just absolutely making waves these days. And it's, if anything, what's the coolest thing, and I'll end on this, is what's really cool is to see the fact that everybody is not prison sentenced to WWE. And if you don't get WWE, then you have nothing. You have the ability to be able to go. There's so many people out there right now that are proving the concept that the, the, the era of the promoter is now within the actual wrestler itself and it's moving in a completely different direction of actually opening doors of once was those, those territory days that everybody just kind of took a big gulp when Vince bought out everything in uh, 2001 and it became 2002 and it became a, a thing of what do we do now and everybody's scrambling because they have nowhere else to go and now it's to a point where they've got lots of places to go and it's awesome to see that these days. Yeah, yeah, you know what? It's it's showing the like you like you said, you hit the nail on the coffin. The era of self promotion is thriving, and it's only going to get stronger. So I stand by my statement earlier, Vinnie Mac. You better watch your back, man, because there is some serious. All in was a test run. Yeah, okay, mm. it was one venue, ten thousand seats, but let's not forget the pay per view sales they had, the numbers that they had. They were there exactly. So the test run proved that they were there. They do one of those every four months. All of a sudden, you've got your four staples. Just like WWE had your staples. Then maybe add one every two months into the yep. mix. And before you know it, WWE has competition. I understand that's why they're trying to go globally. They're getting, they see the indies coming. So now they've got to get bigger. And But this is exciting though, because that means Vince may get riskier. Because Vince thrives on competition. Mm-hmm. So if he sees something creeping up worth his time, and believe me, he's noticed, he noticed all in. And honestly, it just makes it way better for the fan that's getting a chance to actually see some competition going on. For sure, we don't, we, like... don't, we don't get just we don't get to see the man who defied gravity, or the monster among men. Yeah, we get to see Cody versus Kenny for the leadership of the Bullet Club. <laughs> and now we're getting a chance to breathe from uh, from John Cena for a little bit. <laughs> oh. And on that note, you can't see me. Right? All right. Well, that's it for fifty six. Tools of the trade is in the can. Couldn't be more happier with the way this conversation went. Next week, we will be sitting down with the incomparable George Menendez, the uh, head of Destiny Wrestling. We're yes. going to be live on location at Battle Arts Academy. Not live, sorry. Pre-recorded Battle Arts Academy, owned by Santino Morella, a.k.a. Anthony Corelli. And we will be sitting down with George in-house at Battle Arts to talk all things Destiny Wrestling, from promotions to recruiting to how he sets up the matches. I have so many questions. This may be a four-hour podcast. I don't right. know. I have tons of questions. I have questions that I've wanted to ask since I was six years old. But now we get to actually sit down with a promoter. We and we get to a, sit we down just, and we get to see the, that other side, which is fantastic. And right. then after that, the Mick Foley Superstar Profile will air the following week. And things are just getting better and better and better. And hopefully yep. the week after that, we can track down Greg and sit down with him and talk about all these legends that he's bringing in. And how he's getting them to come down to a great small city like Fergus. Have a great conversation with him via a cell phone which would be fantastic. Yep. So all that's coming up within October. And then from there, we're going to get a little bit of December and then we'll do what we did last year. We will take our break mid-December to the new year. And then we'll be back in January and I cannot be more stoked. Right. I can't.
can't be. Super pumped, man. Yeah. So check out next week where we sit down with George from Destiny Wrestling. That's going to be incredible. After that, Mick Foley. So many episodes coming up. That's 57. Mick Foley's 58. And as you all know, I'm your host with the most, George McKay. Steve the Animal Mitchell. And that's it for this one, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget, listen to all our episodes, new and old, on all our platforms, which you will hear on this outro right here. Peace. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. some car repairs to do, but I could only pay for half of them. Brokers Lamina at 1-800-NEW-CREDIT made the difference between stressed out driving and a smooth ride to work. Mark went the extra mile on his repairs with a loan from Brokers Lamina at 1-800-NEW-CREDIT. It's easy to apply over the phone or online at Lamina.ca. Get approved instantly up to $1,000 with no documents or credit checks and pay back over three to five months. Spice up your week and call 1-800-NEW-CREDIT or apply online at Lamina.ca.